In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Happy second week of Advent. Um, have you ever had a moment where you read Scripture, something in the Bible, and you think, what in the world is that about? <laughs> Anybody ever felt lost about reading something in the Bible? Thank you. I got one person, you and me, Asher. Okay, three. Thank you. Some honesty up in here, okay? Uh, well, this, this happened for us in this Advent season. We were doing the Advent wreath thing with the family in the living room. Kids, you remember this. And we're reading um, out of the prophet of Ezekiel. And after the reading, before we're about to light the candle, because, you know, we have these readings and stuff, right? Um, I, it sunk in like, I have no idea what. The, and then my wife is looking over me like, yeah, good luck with that. Remember that, right? We come to find out the readings were a typo. It's supposed to be Zechariah, not Ezekiel. We got it fixed. So if you felt that way, I've, I'm a professional preacher and I felt that way. So like, yes, we're all on the same page. Um, Advent can feel like this too. You hear these things that are being read. Did you hear what was read today? And you think, what in the world? What is, what is going on? What, what is Advent about? We're supposed to be anticipating the coming of Jesus, right? And we hear all of these like really confrontational, problematic, like the church has got issues we're talking about in Corinth and like these prophecies. It's all over the place. And we could think like, good luck to that preacher, whoever's got to make sense of this for Advent. This is our season of Advent, this kind of strange, confrontational, often uncomfortable moments in the reading of God's word that we're trying to make sense of where do we see God in this where's Jesus in this how do we make sense of this and it's actually really fitting for how Advent I think should feel a little bit a little uncomfortable a little bit like you know when I was growing up we get in trouble my mom would say your dad's on his way and we that's the moment of Advent like he's on his way (laughs) it should feel a little bit like that Uh, this is Advent And as strange as the Bible can be, and as strange as some of these readings can be for us at times, um, it's a sobering thought. If you think about this, think with me for a second, consider this, that all of this that we read, as strange as it is, it is not empty words. This isn't kind of vapid, empty talk. This isn't God just trying to be intentionally confusing or obscure to us. This is not ancient, outdated advice for life. Uh, This is not just sort of spiritual writings that are basically irrelevant to 2021, about to be 2022, Austin, Texas. Like, that's not what this is either. God, as you heard in our prayer, has caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning. So even when it's confusing, we don't have to write it off, but we could say, "What's, what's this about? Lord, what is this revealing about who you are and your love for me? What is going on here? This is the Advent question. This is the Advent moment. Scripture has this strange way, I find, even when I don't exactly know what's going on, of appetizing those questions in our soul. And we, it's, it's, it's so weird to describe. It's not even like intellectual or rational in a sense. But when we hear the, re- the readings from Holy Scripture, sometimes we can't even explain why we want to hear more. I, I want to understand more what Scripture is saying to us. Who is the God that is being revealed in this obscure passage? This is what the word of God can do to us. It appetizes our soul. 
this, this collect this morning is one of my favorite. Our men's Bible study, we read it all the time, um, that we would um, uh, hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them so that we could embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of Jesus Christ our Lord. Even all the strange readings were prompted to dig deeper, to be appetized more for more of what this is, to inwardly digest and make sense of this God who announces his imminent arrival. I'm going to show you what I mean even in our readings this morning. We have all of these strange readings. I'm going to walk us through some of these and, and try and ask that question with you. What does this reveal, these strange readings, reveal about the God who says he's on his way? Malachi tells of a messenger of God who is coming to prepare a way for the Lord's arrival. He's going to announce that day, um, that, that on this day, the Lord will leave no one standing. And he will purify and refine all of his people. This is kind of terrifying. And he will bring judgment on the wicked. Wow. Okay. Psalm 26, which you so beautifully chanted. Y'all, we're getting good. We could like release an album. We're recording. It's on live stream, you know. Send it to your friends. Check out this band I'm in or something. We sound good. Thank you for this. Um, Psalm 126. Sorry, that's not in the sermon. It recalls how God restores the fortune of his people like a, like a refreshing living water stream coming into a dry desert. And God, this God who, when he shows up, will transform our tears into shouts of joy. Huh. And then Luke tells of this scruffy forerunner of Jesus, of the Christ, who will uh, fulfill everything that Malachi, we read this morning, and even what Isaiah and some of the prophets have pointed, for, uh, poured, point, pointed forward to in this person who would come like a voice from the wilderness preparing a way for the Lord, John the Baptist. And he proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That, he, that through this, God would lead his people back home in his triumphal return. Just like the psalmist also told, by the way. Now, I know we've, we just heard my summary of these texts, okay? But can we be real for a second? When we hear this news and these stories, these claims, you got to admit, we put this in a category in our minds that's like for religious use only, right? No? Can can you imagine sharing these readings with your coworkers and your neighbors who aren't Christians and share it with like a, no, these are for real, man. Like this is the headline. If you've ever shared your faith with someone who is not a Christian, you have that moment where you think, we believe this stuff? <laughs> I mean, if you're really sharing about who Jesus is. Really? So when we hear readings like this, it. Does that go in the religious category? Does that go into the real world category? Does these things have any implication for what's going on in our real lives? Just right outside these doors. Can we be honest about this for a second? Would somebody say no? All right, well, tough crowd. It'll be uphill from here, I guess. Or all, are all these things just way too fantastic for us to take serious? Hmm. It's so easy to come to church, friends, and hear these readings and carry on with the status quo of life. To let it kind of just fly over our head. And when we do, can I just tell you what happens when we do not take these readings seriously? What ends up happening with our lives is we kind of create this distance from a dependency on what God thinks. What he has to say about our lives. We, we start to think that actually... 
we have a good word for ourselves. We can be our own North Star. And we end up creating this world around us where we're just kind of self-reliant. And that's a problem. This is the problem I think that Paul's dealing with in 1 Corinthians in his letter to that church in Corinth. This church was a mess. I mean, all churches are messes, right? But this church was like really, really messed up and divided. They became disconnected from the promise that they would hear in God's word. From their dependence on hearing that word and taking that seriously. Integrating everything we hear with the real world and even within their community. They didn't do and they became arrogant and comfortable and self-referential. I got this. I'm self-made. And what ends up happening when people do that in communities is they kind of break off into small little cliques. They form these little clubs, and then they start arguing with one another, and yada, yada, yada. We know. We've all been a part of churches. We've seen it, right? It's not good. It's ugly. This is all human community. So my man Paul gets to work on this church, and it's so easy to hear Paul coming after somebody else than me, but he'll come for us in a second. But just hear this out. Paul gets to work sarcastically and hyperbolically, really, exposing how ridiculous this is, how hypocritical, how ungodly they're thinking really is and how their lives have become this is what he writes in verse 8 he says already you have what you want look at you i'm adding something there already you have become rich without us you have become kings and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you look at you that was in verse 8 just before the portion we read This is kind of like the equivalent of parents telling their kids, well, look at you all grown up, paying your own bills, grocery shopping for yourself. We say in our house, big boss applesauce, look at you. I personally, Michelle and I would never say something like this to our kids. Uh, No, we would, we do. But we say it like this. We say, get a job and get a haircut and we'll talk. That's our thing, right? And to be fair, my parents told me the same thing. I was the same kid. But you get the idea of what Paul's doing here, right? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are, church? That you can go on bickering, divided, self-reliant, like you know better? Goodness. Paul writes in verse 7, What do you have that you did not receive Check this out. What do you have in your possession that someone didn't give to you first? You think you're all self-made and self-reliant. You think you got it all figured out, but everything you have was given to you. If then you received it, Paul says, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Wow. He's getting at this inner logic, this kind of cancer at the center of this way of thinking that's killing this community, that's dividing it. And he's exposing the lie that they built around uh, in their lives with this lie that what you have you know I earn my own paycheck I'm self-made I'm kind of a big deal but that was really my doing I am self-given this body I gave it to myself it's ridiculous isn't it doesn't even make sense and the truth is all that we have is a gift every single thing you have is a gift amen they have become self-reliant they've lost touch with that voice of God saying no I've given you everything actually and they have become lost out of touch with reality 
out of touch with that gift from God, really. And pride and division begin to take over. You can see how that goes, right? He, Paul goes on to sarcastically describe the church as like, you wise people, you strong kings, look at you. And his admonishment gets stronger and stronger. You know how Paul kind of just layers sentence after layer, sentence, and he's just, it's like, you know, he is, he is like a rabbi's rabbi. This guy comes at uh, with you, with you, with words. And every layer of those sentences, it gets stronger, this contrast between who the church in Corinth, Corinth has made themselves out to be and these humble, humiliated, lowly apostles of which Paul is one. And here is the Advent moment as this contrast builds in Paul's writing. When it gets to that breaking point where their pride is exposed and Paul can put his finger on it and push it, press that wound and confront it. And this is what he writes. This is the part we heard this morning. I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come with you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? I can't, I can't help read that last sentence and not hear Father Jonathan, I think it was like a few years ago, who talked about Paul and these moments of like, come at me, bro. This is one of those moments. What do you wish? You want me to come at you with a wiffle bat and we'll straighten this out? Come at me, bro. This Paul's kind of voice popping through. I hear it in Father Jonathan's voice, so I don't know. That's probably all messed up. But Paul is not concerned with the empty talk of these people. The kind of on and on self-inflated words, right? The reality that they create amongst themselves with their talk. But ultimately it's proud and arrogant, out of touch with reality. Ultimately it's out of touch with the power of how God does things. And therefore it kind of doesn't matter. And this still holds true today for us, I think. For this world full of talk. Yeesh, right? And we think, oh, he's talking about politicians. The church is full of talk, too, in so many ways, unfortunately. And Advent is that reckoning in which we hear of a God who is going to um, not be interested in our talk, not in our words, not in the narratives and stories we tell ourselves, like, I'm okay, everything's fine, I'm okay, okay. No, God is coming in power in Advent to set things right, and he comes to bring healing You don't have to talk your way out of this relationship with God or this confrontation with God. If something is not right, um, he will, in power, cut through the words and get right to the quick of it. And God will do the same thing with those moneylenders or those employers who aren't paying their people what they're worth. Any injustice God will meet, not with talk, but with power. This is the word that we hear in Advent. So all the powers of evil, the pride The arrogance, the self-provision, the self-protection, the self-preservation. All our inflated talk will be met by the fullness of God's incarnate word. In flesh, God, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what's coming. Who can stand up on that day? Whose words can stand on their own on that day? What will happen to all that empty talk on that day? 
I'll tell you what will happen. This is what scripture says, and we even sing it. All mortal flesh will fall silent before Jesus, the King, the incarnate word. God himself moving into our neighborhood and setting things right. That he could bring us home to dwell with him. And the forgiveness of sins. And the reconciliation of all, thing, all things. This is what God is up to in the arrival of the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. Amen, Father Sean. Friends, whatever words right now in your life are kind of flying around in your mind, in your heart. Maybe they're words that we hear on the news or words in our friends or in our communities or in our families. Lots of talk, lots of words. Whatever words are flying around in your world. It has met its match in Advent. In the word of God read to us. And in the word of God incarnate in the sacrament given to us. All of those words have met their match. And they will be subject to what God has to say. And even more, the God who comes to dwell in the midst of those words with us. It can be so confusing at times when we get sucked into these words, right? When we start to tell ourselves those stories that we're okay, everything's okay, nothing to see here. Or we even have these moments with God where we feel conviction and we kind of talk our way out of it. There's no need to do that. It's like you think that God doesn't see behind all of these words. I know, I'm a pro at this. God sees through it. And so we can be free to not put up with those words, but to tell the truth, beginning with ourselves, coming with a heart of repentance and preparation to say, Lord, I want you to make a home in my life. I know that you're on your way. Help my whole life to be reoriented around your son, first and foremost. Let everything else in my life, all the words, all the stories that I hear in my life, may they be subject to your son and his kingdom. That's the Advent spirit. That's what we're trying to do. So as strange as some of these readings can be at times, and maybe you don't understand it all, what you can understand is that a loving God is revealing himself to you by the power of his spirit. Why? Because he loves you. Because he wants to meet you and dwell with you, to share a life with you. You don't have to have all your questions answered for him to do that. It's actually quite simple. You can find yourself saying, Lord, I hear all these readings. I see this table, all these people wearing these robes. I don't know if I understand all this, but Lord, I want to open my life to your arrival. Would you come and make sense of me? Would you come and speak your words of beloved upon me? And would you prepare my heart to receive your incarnate son this Christmas? That's the invitation the Lord offers to us this Advent. Can we take a moment of silence and do just that? Invite the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts, to speak those words of love to us, that we would be prepared to receive him in his coming this morning. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.